All right, good morning, Calvary Church. I'm Jake Gregg, uh, one of the elders. Is, as uh, Logan just mentioned, um, first off, I want to just say I'm really grateful Logan's back that we're able to um, gather here again. Uh, last week, being online, it's not really my favorite thing, so I'm really glad to see faces and be able to, to interact with you guys uh, face-to-face. Um, some of you know Tim's out of town this weekend. He's up at a wedding uh, with his son, and um, just uh, have your prayers uh, for, for them would be uh, much appreciated. I'm going to pray again, even though I know we just prayed, just to kind of help calm me down and uh, get my mind in the right spot, and then uh, we'll, we'll open up. Heavenly Father, God, um, Lord, it's uh, such an honor and privilege to be here in, in front of this uh, congregation, God. I thank you so much that we're able to um, gather together face-to-face and be able to do life together. Um, I thank you for all the families here and all the people that make this a priority in their weekly life to, to just set aside some time um, to come together as a community, um, Lord, that we get to um, just... Not, even if it's nothing but to show to ourselves and to those that show up on Sunday that you're important to us, important enough that we'll, we'll make this time on a Sunday to come together. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak through me, Lord. I pray that my own um, uh, motives and intentions would be left out of today, Lord, that you, Lord, would be um, just uh, made known and that we would get something from this, that you'd work in our hearts and through us today. In your name, Lord, um, I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, before I get started, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Like, my wife is due, like, within any, any minute now. So I've been, like, freaking out the last week. It's been a roller coaster. So if she screams and we run, um, it's not because anything anyone here did. Um, and also, if we're not here next week, that's where we're at, is, is um, God willing, we'll have a baby in our arms instead of uh, in her belly. So I'm, I'm ready for that. Uh, so um, what is a witness? If, if we were out on the street today, like downtown Pueblo or, or Denver, and I said to just a random person, what's a witness? Um, I, I think, you know, the most common probably answer we're going to hear is that somebody in court. You know, you got the, I, I think, you know, what I see on TV, you got this guy up on, up, up here, he's a judge, and then right next to him, you got this person there that's a witness, and, and they're there to um, either help verify like that something is true or that it's not true and so I mean what's it take to be that person what is that person is that a is that an honest person is that somebody that's like well respected in society is it somebody that knows um, knows a lot or or somebody that's um, never broken the law I I don't think any of that's really true you know we we've we've locked up a lot of really uh, serious criminals by the testimony of somebody create, uh, that somebody that was in their inner circle that was committing those same crimes with them. Like all it takes to be that witness in a courtroom is that you know something specific about one, one fact about one specific thing. That's it. That's all that really matters. And so, you know, it get, gets me thinking like, well, what's a witness when I talk about Christians? There's, you know, this whole Christianese language out there that we use as Christians about, you know, born again and I'm saved and I'm, and I'm a witness, I'm all these things that I think a lot of people don't understand that aren't Christians. Um, and what if I was to say, like, the same thing's true about, about being a Christian witness, that all that really matters is you know one thing, and that's Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So um, we're going to spend some time looking at a passage where we see what I think is one of the most unlikely witnesses in the Bible, and one that brings a whole city to know Jesus. So we're going to turn to chapter 4, 
um, of John, and we're, we're going to go to verse 1. While you're turning there, I'm going to give a little background on this. So John is one of the four Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is considered the most chronological of all the Gospels. So it's written in a way that is from start to finish, basically the life of Jesus from when he was a baby up until his death and resurrection. So we're in chapter 3. Obviously, that's kind of the beginning. I should have looked at how many chapters there are. There's 20 or so. But we're at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So what's happened up to this time, if you went back in John, you would see that Jesus has turned the water into wine at the wedding. You, you'd see that he's gone into the temple, and this is kind of important to why, why this is happening here. He's gone into the temple, and he's overturned the tables and driven everyone out. And so the religious leaders are already kind of like, hey, who is this guy? And what's, what's the deal with this, this man, this Jesus? And then he goes from there, and he's kind of spending time with uh, John the Baptist, which is his cousin, who's preparing the way for Jesus. And the Pharisees come to John, and they kind of get in this little dispute about cleanliness. What's it mean to be cleansed or to be spiritually pure? And, and a lot of that tied in that time back to baptism. And he starts kind of, they, they start making some comments about Jesus baptizing more than John. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. So I'm going to start chapter 4, verse 1. Um, so now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So... Um, I'll stop here just real quick to kind of bring us back to how we did Judges. We thought of Calvary Church as Jerusalem. Tim did this all the way through the book of Judges we just finished. And, and it was helpful for me, so I'm going to try to do the same thing here. So we're, we're, if we're, if we're uh, Jerusalem right here, Calvary, uh, Galilee would be about 70 miles north. So it would be up about like the monument area, I guess. And right between that, there's this big region that's Samaria. And he's going to pass through that. So that'd be like, I don't know, maybe like Colorado Springs or something. But it's a very large region, and really the most direct route would have been right through it. And so he had to pass through Samaria. So verse 5. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So, um, stop here again. So, uh, obviously, Jesus is probably pretty tired. I mean, he's hiking <laughs> 70 miles. I can't imagine walking that far. But he gets tired. He sits down by this well. And the significance of the sixth hour in this specific passage, so for us, for me, that doesn't mean anything. But in, in the Jewish culture at the time, your hour, your day started at the beginning of the day, so around daybreak. So the sixth hour would put you around noon. So this woman's coming with this, they, they carry these giant pots, and they'd come up and they'd fill them with water, and they'd take those back, and that's what they'd use in their house for water for the next, the next, for the whole day. So most women would go early in the morning, and they would go in the morning when it's cool, and the weather's decent, and it gave you a good start to the day. Now I have water to do all my cooking and cleaning and everything throughout the day. This woman's going at the sixth hour. So right here in the very beginning, we, we know that there's something different about her. There's a reason she's not going with the rest of the women. There's something either society has told her or she's telling herself that she's not, 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 should not be going with the other people. So it's the sixth hour, and she comes to the well, 
and Jesus is sitting there. So picking up in uh, num- uh, verse, verse 6 again. A woman from Samaria comes to draw water, and Jesus says to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman says to him, said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with, G- with Samaritans. And, and to me, I don't know, like when I first read this, like the first couple times, it didn't really dawn on me, but as I read this over and over again preparing for today, I, I just feel like she's almost trying to pick a fight here. Like, you're, I mean, you think about the situation, this woman's going to the well in the middle of the day, right? And there's a reason. She doesn't want to be around people. Either people are telling her she's, she shouldn't be around them or personally she feels that way. So I don't know, I, whenever I feel like I don't want to be around people, the last thing I want to do is talk to somebody, let alone basically at the time what would have been my enemy. And so the Samaritans, you know, if we look back in history, the Samaritans, you know, from a biblical perspective, they were a group of people back um, in, in around the 7800s BC. Uh, God in Second Kings, Second uh, Kings 17, we read about this group of people and how they became kind of um, an unclean group from the Israelite culture. So Israel was broken into two kingdoms at the time. You had the southern one, Judea, and the northern kingdom of Israel, and this area, these people had started to forsake the God of their fathers. They've started to uh, worship other idols. They've started to just stray from what they've been taught and what God had given them throughout history. And God warns them over and over, hey, stop doing this. Like, you need to stop this. Repent. Come back to me. And they refuse to. And eventually the Assyrians come in. And the Assyrians come in and they take over that region. And, and, you know, a little side note, Judea stayed pure, and they stayed focused on God. And so they stayed focused, and God stops the evasion at their border, essentially. So this area now has been taken over, and we hear about the, the captivity of Israel. That's these people. They're the captives, and then they're exiled. So a good number of them are taken out of the area, put other, in, in another place, and other people are brought in. So now you have this mixed culture where you have Jews and Gentiles that have all been brought together, and they start to intermarry. And as they intermarry, I mean, any of us that are married, you know, like a little bit of you and a little bit of them kind of comes into a household. Like it's not just one person. And so as that happens, they're already forsaking their God. They start to take up idol worship and worship of these other gods that were brought in. So these people, the Samaritans, from a Jewish standpoint, the Jews uh, believed them, you know, the Jewish line was what, you know, God said was his chosen people. They're pure. So they're down here, pure. You got this section of them pure up here, and this, this section in the middle that they would consider unclean people. These are people that are mixed race, that also um, have forsaken God and taken on other gods. So she already had that strike against her, but the other thing she brings up is that she's a woman, and in North America or here in America, that doesn't mean a whole lot. I can go talk to any woman on the street and it's not weird, but in their culture, and even, I would say even to this day in some cultures around the world, it's really like taboo to go to just randomly talk to a woman out on the street. In their culture, it would have been even worse. Like you, you only talk to people that were within your household. That's it. Like if it was a woman outside your household, you did not talk to them if you were out in public. And so this is not only a Samaritan, so not, not only a Samaritan, but she's also a woman. And so for Jesus, a Jew, 
and also a teacher, right? He's not just a Jew. He's a teacher. He's got disciples following him. He's trying to—the the, the people of the time are seeing him as this upcoming religious leader. He's talking to somebody that would have been, you know, completely uh, wrong for him to talk to, somebody that they would have considered unclean. So we, we're, we're here in—let's um, uh, see here. We're in verse 8. Samaritan woman— uh, says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for, for a drink, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the next section. I had some on it, but Tim covered it last week. If you want to go pull that message, that'd be awesome. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where did you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Again, it still sounds to me like she's kind of mocking him, like, hey, you're going to give me water? Like, what? Like how? Like, you don't even have anything. Like, and so you're going to give me water. You don't have anything. Are you implying you're better than Jacob and Joseph and all the people that the, the, the Jews that came here and, and built this well on this mountain. And I think it's important, too, to note that this just shows us how the Samaritan people, you know, we read through the Bible, or I do, and I, I read about the Samaritans, and I just think, like, oh, they're sinners. They're people that don't know anything about God. No, they knew all about God. Like, they, they were Jewish in heritage, at least part of them. And so they knew about Jacob and about where this well came from. They knew about this region, and they knew about the lineage uh, that came down through that. And it's, it's important to note that because what happens as we read through this is, is she shows that she's looking for the same thing any Jew would be looking for. So you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So now we're on to 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And to, to me, I see this maybe a slight shift in her attitude where she's not like mocking him. She's saying, hey, what is this? Tell Tell me. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Man, like, the tact Jesus uses here. You know, I think, like, if I think back to, like, what I was talking about, like, what's a witness as a Christian goes, like, I think of these people, you know, out on street corners or something, you know, with the megaphone in a big city, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, some people think of that anyway, maybe not as much Christians as, as some other people, but Jesus didn't do that. He had every opportunity to. He, he knew the answer. Like, he told her to go get her husband and let her, her see her own sin. And so it opened up this door now where she's at least questioning, what, who are you? Like, how do you know that? Are you a prophet? And um, 
So we're going to keep going here. So I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Again, um, a little bit of history on that. So Mount Gerizma, Gerizim, is, is here in Samaria, Samaria. And God did set that up as a place to worship before they were in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans, even to this day, it's a very small group of people that are still Samaritans. They still believe this is where Yahweh resides. So they believed in the God of Yahweh, the same as the Jews did in Jerusalem. They believed that Yahweh was worshipped in this temple. The Jews believed that Yahweh's in this temple. And at that time, that's the only worship you did. You only worship in the temple. There wasn't, you know, you left there and you came back. All that time in between there was just, how do I follow all these rules that are in place? And try to be the best person I can. You come back to worship God. And so she's, she's explaining that, hey, her people think that this area is, is where, um, where we're supposed to worship, but bringing up that the Jews have somewhere else. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Like, he just very subtly took basically a thousand years or more of Jewish tradition and said, it's all going away. Like, you're not, you don't have to just go worship in a temple anymore. Like, you can come worship God anywhere. Like, huge, huge statement culturally. I mean, a complete shift, whether you're Jew or Samaritan. And he shuts down. Every single time she brought something up, he has shut it down with grace. That she's saying, you tell us we have to worship here. We worship here, which is right. And he's saying, the time's coming and it's here right now. Like, we, have, we can worship God in spirit. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. Again, she's looking for the same thing a Jew is. The Samaritans are not as different, I think, as, as sometimes I think they are. So I'm looking for, uh, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I don't know if it gets any clearer than that, but there's still people to this day in, in some religions and offshoots of Christianity that claim that Jesus never said he was the Son of God or the Messiah. Like, either you believe this or you don't. If he, he's the Messiah, he just said it. Like, I, it's like every time I read that, I just think back to all these, these uh, churches that kind of believe he's maybe a, uh, just a, a prophet, basically, or a really good man. Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 27, just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. Again, you would not have been talking to a woman, especially not a, not a rabbi or a teacher. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And this is the crux of the whole thing, the thing that just um, really got to me. So verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
they went out of the town and were coming to him. So, I mean, two huge things happen here. One, this woman, she's going up there. She needs water. There's a physical need she, she had. She goes up to the well to get water. She has a simple conversation with the Jewish man. She drops her water, basically, and goes into town. So that's the surface thing that happens. The bigger thing to me is she goes into town, and the Samaritans start coming looking for Jesus. So, I mean, let's put this in perspective. Like, I've never met somebody that's been married to five people. I mean, that's unheard of in today's culture. Today, we're like, oh, you know, we're so, we're so much worse off than everyone was in the Bible. Are we really? Like, this woman's been married to five men, and she's now living with a guy that's not her husband. So we're up on, up on six. Like, I've known somebody that's had three, and that sounds like a lot. I mean, holy cow. But this is five. This is five. She's had five husbands and now is working on her sixth. And she comes in and says, hey, there's this, this spiritual thing going on, this guy out here that I think is the Messiah. And not only that, we're Samaritans. We believe we're worshiping here. I can't imagine the Samaritans don't think the Messiah is a Samaritan, not a Jew. So <laughs> there's... I've been married five times. I know I'm living with a guy that's not really my husband. Listen to me on the spiritual thing. There's this Jew that we hate. He's up here by the well. He's the Messiah. He's told me a bunch of stuff. Come, come talk to him. What? Like, who's listening to this lady? Like, it says people left. And, and here I am, like, and this is the part that hit home to me is that here I am. I have friends all over this city. Should I have friends in other cities? that I've never really talked about Christ with. Like, what holds us back? Like, I, I get in my head about, like, you have to be, you know, such a good person, or, like, I don't want to be a bad example, or what if they don't like me, or, you know, this list goes on and on. This woman can't even go get water at the normal time, and all she, she did was go back and tell these people. Like, I didn't come from a perfect past either. I mean, I relate with this woman extremely well. Like, I, I came from a very Christian home, I, uh, my grandfather was a pastor. My dad was a youth pastor uh, on and off. My mom was a, um, always helped with the Juanas. She helped with the youth. My dad and grandfather have always, my other grandfather have always been deacons and elders. Yet, I, and I still believe and, and am very confident in my salvation from a very young age. But there's a period of my life where it was dark. And I mean, it was not anything um, that I would consider um, like life-giving at all. I, I had a very rough section, like late middle school all the way through the end of high school where, I mean, I did whatever I could to not be a good person. And I'd probably turn more people away during that period than I probably ever turned towards God. And it's, it's uh, disheartening, but those things still keep me, to, to this day, those things still keep me from wanting to share my faith. Like, I think... Those pe- people are going to know those things about me. They, they know that today I still struggle with pride and ego and, and arrogance and, you know, all of these other things that, that sneak into my life from time to time that, uh, you know, as much as I pray and work on them, like, I let my guard down and things sneak into my life. And it's not saying she was perfect. And you know, I think like, oh, well, they, you know, a good, a good person for witnessing, they've been, you know, even if they've had a bad past, they've been good for 10 years or 15 years or something, right? Like, that's a good witness. That's a good testimony. She's, 
she's not even out of her sin. It doesn't even say she's like went home and left this man and repented. It said she just left and went and talked to people. So like the, what, what keeps me or you or any of us from just talking about it? I'm about to have a baby and <laughs> my oldest, uh, he's two now. So I've had him for two years. I can't go to the grocery store without talking about him. And Jesus should be more important to me than that. So why? I just don't understand why it's so hard for Christians, including myself, to be honest. That's all we have to do to be a witness for Christ is one thing. Like, is he my Savior? Do I believe he's God? And, and I do. So why can't we witness so um, we're going to, so that's, uh, we're, we left off in 30. We're going to skip all the way down, and I'm going to leave a little time for closing, um, to 39. And this is proliferates as, as the time went on. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when Samaritans come to him, came to him, they asked him, to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of the word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And I just want to reiterate, I know I said it earlier, like our job is not to save people in the Christian, you know, <laughs> lingo. That's not our job. We don't save people. We introduce them to Jesus. That's what we're asked to do is we set up the meeting. Hey, I know this man, Jesus. I believe he's the Savior. Go, f let's figure it out together or on your own. But we need, we need to let people know that we are Christians and that we believe Jesus Christ is the Savior. And I, whatever's keeping us from that, like that, that is all she did. And a whole, it's it's like a whole town came to know Christ in a region that shouldn't have believed in Jesus, a region that rejected his people. So we're going to move into closing, and um, there's two passages that we're going to look at, and this is the take-home. So if you believe in Jesus, and this is to me as much as it is to anyone here, um, we need to go be witnesses by what we do and what we say. And there's two specific, I mean, there's so much on this in the New Testament and even um, the Old Testament, but I'm going to stick to just two passages that we're going to open to. The first one's going to be James. We're going to turn to James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive the meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and then and goes away and at once forget what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing 
If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I just think it's a great reminder of how we should act in the world. I, I, I think it's important what we say, but if our actions don't follow that, uh, what kind of witness can we be? You know, if I'm telling somebody I found Jesus and that he's changed my life, but they don't see a change in my life, how, how likely are they going to even be to want to open the word or come to church? And then we're going to look at Romans uh, 10, 5 through 15, and this is about um, what we say. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in but, oh, sorry, let me go back to six. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Jew and Greek. For the same is Lord, Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they who call on him, him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It's just a reminder to me that believing in my heart is one part of it, but if I don't confess that, um, really it's worthless. Like, it, it says very clearly here in Romans that believing in my heart is is part of it. it believing in my heart justified it, but the... But with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So when we take this, if, if we're Christians and we're not confessing that, I just challenge you to read this and tell me where you really stand. Because it's a scary thought for Christians that believe but don't confess that Jesus is their Lord. So... I'm going to leave it with those two, to, and as I pray, I'm going to ask the band to come forward. Um, thank you again for letting me be up here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, Lord, what an honor and privilege it is, again, to be face-to-face, Lord. Um, I pray and ask that you would um, just be with us as we close here in a song. I pray that we would go out into the world, God, that we would confess your name, that we would confess that you are Lord and Savior. Lord, that we would be um, gracious and loving as uh, you have been with this woman at the well. Lord, help us to put aside all of the 
self-righteousness um, and all of the self-pity, the things that keep us, Lord, from thinking we're worthy of talking about you, the things that keep us from wanting to confess your name. Lord, we aren't perfect, and we know that, and you know that. And Lord, we just pray that we would bring people to a meeting place where they can, um, at least in their own hearts, seek either to understand you or to know you, and that you and that person would work out those details. God, if we can be of use in any way today as we leave, we just pray that you would put that on our hearts and that we would be open to that. And in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.